Chapter 4 of Danger in Deep Space. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Danger in Deep Space by Kerry Rockwell. Narrated by Sam Holloway. Chapter 4 Stand by to reduce speed three quarters! roared Major Connell. Aye, aye, sir, replied Tom, and began the necessary adjustments on the control panel. He spoke into the intercom. Control deck to power deck. Stand by to reduce thrust on main drive rockets by three quarters. We're coming on to the space station, Astro. Power deck, aye, acknowledged Astro. Drifting in a steady orbit around its mother planet, the Venus space station loomed ahead of the Polaris like a huge metal ball set against a backdrop of cold black space. It was studded with gaping holes, airlocks which served as landing ports for spaceships. Inside the station was a compact city. Living quarters, communication rooms, repair shops, weather observations, meteor information, everything to serve the great fleet of the Solar Guard and merchant spaceships plying the space lanes between Earth, Mars, Venus and Titan. I'm getting the identification request from the station, sir. Shall I answer her? Asked Roger over the intercom. Of course, you space-brained idiot! And make it fast! Exploded Connell. What do you want to do? Get us blasted out of space? Yes, sir, replied Roger. Right away, sir. Tom kept his eyes on the teleceiver screen above his head. The image of the space station loomed large and clear. Approaching a little too fast, I think, sir, volunteered Tom. Shall I make the adjustment? What's the range? asked Connell. Tom named a figure. Hmm, mused Connell. He glanced quickly over the dials and then nodded in assent. Tom turned once more to the intercom. Control deck to power deck, he called. Stand by for manoeuvring, Astro, and reduce your main drive thrust to minimum space speed. Space station traffic control to rocket cruiser Polaris. Come in, Polaris. This is traffic control on space station to Polaris. The audio teleceiver crackled. Rocket cruiser Polaris to space station and traffic control. Request touchdown permission and landing port number, replied Tom. Permission to touchdown granted, Polaris. You are to line up an approach to landing port 7, repeat 7. I'm now sending out guiding radar beam. Can you read beam? Tom turned to the intercom. Uh, have you got the station's guiding beam, Roger? All lined up, Tom, replied Roger from the radar bridge. Get that Venusian on the power deck to give me a three-second shot on the starboard rocket, if he can find the right handles. I heard that, Manning, roared Astro's voice on the intercom. Another crack like that and I'll make you get out and push this baby around. You execute that order and do it blasted quick! Major Connell's voice exploded over the intercom. And watch that loose talk on the ship's intercom. From now on, all directions and orders will be given and received in a crisp, clear manner without unnecessary familiarity. Connell didn't expect them to acknowledge his order. The cadets had heard him, and that was enough. He knew it was enough. In the short time it had taken them to traverse the immense gulf of space between the academy and the station, Connell had handed out demerits by fives and tens. Each of the cadets was now tagged with enough black marks to spend two months in the galley working them off. Now working together like the smooth team of junior spacemen they were, Tom, Roger and Astro manoeuvred the great rocket ship toward the gaping hole of the airlock in the side of the white ball-like satellite. Drop your bow one half degree, Polaris. You're up too high, warned the station control. A short burst on the upper trim rocket, Astro, called Tom. 
The great ship bucked slightly under the force of a sudden thrust, and then its nose dropped the required half degree. Cut all thrust and break your speed to dead ship, Polaris, ordered traffic control. Again, Tom relayed the order to Astro, and a moment later the great ship hung silently in the airless void of space, a scant half-mile from the station. Through the teleceiver, Tom could see the jet boats darting out from the station, carrying the magnetic cables. In a moment, the lines were attached to the steel skin of the ship, and gradually the lines tightened, pulling the mighty spaceship into the waiting port. Once inside, the outer airlock was closed and the Polaris was slung in the powerful magnetic cradles that held her in a rigid position. Elsewhere on the satellite, quick calculations were made for the additional weight and the station was counterbalanced to assure an even orbit around Venus. Tom flipped the many switches off on the great board, glanced at the time of arrival on the solar clock and reported to Major Connell. Touchdown at 1949, sir. Very well, Corbett, answered Connell. Then he added, grudgingly, That was as fine a job of control deck operations as I've seen. Keep up the good work, spaceman! Tom gulped. The unexpected compliment caught him off guard, and he was even more pleased that for the first time Connell had referred to him as Spaceman. I've been needed at the space station commander's quarters for a while, Corbett, said Connell. Meanwhile, you and Manning and Astro acquaint yourselves with the station. Report to me back aboard the ship in exactly two hours! Dismissed! Tom saluted, and Connell disappeared toward the exit port. Well, spaceman, Roger drawled casually from behind. It looks like you've got yourself in solid with the old man. Tom smiled. With a guy like that, Roger, you're never in solid. Maybe I did get a pat on the back, but you didn't hear him cancel any of those demerits he gave me for not signing the logbook after that last watch, did you? Let's get some chow, growled Astro, who came hustling through the hatch. I'm half-starved. By the craters of Luna, how many times can you change course in five minutes? Astro referred to the countless times Tom had had to call for fraction-degree course changes in their approach to the gaping entrance port. Tom laughed. With Connell on the bridge, you're lucky I didn't give you twice as many, he replied. Can you imagine what would have happened if we had missed and hit the station? Rrr, shuddered Roger. Oh, I hate to think about it. Come on, let's rustle up some grub for the Venusian. I could use some myself. The three boys quickly changed to their dress blue cadet uniforms and left the ship. A moment later, they were being whisked up to an electric elevator to the main, or street, level. The door opened and they stepped out into a large circular area about the size of a city block in the rear of the station. The area had been broken into smaller sections. One side of the street was devoted to shops. A small stereo house, which was playing the latest Liddy Tamil hit, Children of Space, a sensational drama about the lives of men in the future, restaurants and even a curio shop. The Venus Space Station handled 90% of the traffic into and out of Venusport. It was a refuelling stop for the jetliners and space freighters bound for the other planets and for those returning to Earth. Some ships went directly to Venusport for heavy overhaul or supplies, but the station was established primarily for quick turnarounds. Several ex-enlisted spacemen who had been injured or retired were given special permission to open shops for the convenience of the passengers and crews of the ships and the staff of the station. In 20 years, the station had become a place where summer tourists from Earth and winter tourists from Titan made a point of stopping. The first of its kind in the universe, it was as near as a perfect place to live as could be built by man. Tom, Roger and Astro strolled down the short street, pushing through a crowd of tourists admiring the shops. 
finally, they found a restaurant that specialised in Venusian dishes. Now you two spindly earthmen are going to have the best meal of your lives. Broiled dinosaur on real Venusian black bread. D d dinosaur stuttered Tom in amazement. What? Why, that, that's a prehistoric monster. Yeah, Astro, agreed Roger. What are you trying to hand us? Astro laughed. You'll see, fellas, he replied. I used to go hunting for them when I was a kid. Brought the best price of any wild game. Fifty credits for babies under three hundred pounds. Over that, you can't eat them. Too tough. Tom and Roger looked at each other, eyes bulging. Ah, come on, Tom, drawled Roger. He's just trying to pull our leg. Without a word, Astro grabbed them by the arms and rushed them into the restaurant. They were no sooner seated when a recorded voice announced the menu over a small loudspeaker on the table. Astro promptly ordered Dinosaur, and to his unit mate's amazement, the voice politely inquired, Would the spacemen prefer to have it broiled a la Venusian black bread, baked or raw? A sharp look from Roger and Tom, and Astro ordered it broiled. One hour and fifteen minutes later, the three members of the Polaris unit staggered out of the restaurant. By the rings of Saturn, declared Tom. That wasn't only the most I ever ate. Oh, it was the best. Roger nodded in silent agreement, leaning against the plastic window in the front of the restaurant. You see? Astro beamed. Maybe you guys will listen to me from now on. Boy, I can't wait to see Mum's face when I tell her that her chicken and dumplings have taken second place to broiled monster. By the jumping blazes of the stars, yelled Roger suddenly. Look at the time. We're ten minutes late. Oh, moaned Tom. I knew it was too good to be true. Step on it, said Astro. Maybe he won't notice. Some chance, groaned Roger, running after Tom and Astro. That old rocket head wouldn't miss anything. The three boys raced back to the electric elevator and were silently whisked to the airlock level. They hurried aboard the Polaris and into the control room. Major Connell was seated in a chair near the chart screen, studying some papers. The cadets drew themselves to attention. A unit reporting for duty, sir, Tom quavered. Connell spun around in the swivel chair, glanced at the clock, put the papers to one side, and slowly advanced toward the cadets. Thirteen and a half minutes late, he said, dropping his voice to a biting growl. I'll give you five seconds to think of a good excuse. Every man is entitled to an excuse. Some have good ones. Some have truthful ones. And some have excuses that sound as though they made them up in five seconds. He eyed the cadet speculatively. Well, he demanded. I'm afraid we were carried away by our enthusiasm for a meal Astor introduced us to, sir, said Tom honestly. All right, snapped Connell. Then here's something else to carry you all away. He paused and rocked on the balls of his feet. I had planned to give you three liberty of the station while here, whenever you weren't working on the new transmitter. But since you have shown yourselves to be carried away so easily, I don't think I can depend on you completing your regular duties. Therefore, I suggest that each of you report to the officer in charge of your respective departments and learn the operation and function of the station while we're here. This work will be in addition to your assigned duties on the new transmitter operation. The three cadets gulped, but were silent. Not only that, Connell's voice had risen to an angry bark, but you will be logged a demerit apiece for each minute you reported late. Thirteen and a half minutes? 
13 and a half demerits! The gold and black of the Solar Guard uniform never looked more ominous as the three cadets watched the stern spaceman turn and stomp out the exit port. Alone, their liberty taken away from them before they even knew they had it, the boys sat around on the control deck of the silent ship and listened to the distant throb of a pump rising and falling, pumping free air throughout the station. <sighs> well, sighed Tom. I always did want to know how a space station worked. Now I guess I'll learn first-hand. Me too, said Astro. He propped his big feet up on a delicate instrument panel of the control board. Me too, sneered Roger, his voice filled with a bitterness that surprised Tom and Astro. But I didn't think I would find out like this. How in the universe has that, that tyrant managed to stay alive this long? End of chapter 4